for this intimacy with God, this, this communion with God. It's a beautiful gift from God. That's what we're talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Um, I know people in this church who speak in tongues, and that's a great gift. I know people in this church who speak in, in tongues for a period of time, and then not for a while, and they speak in tongues again. That's a great gift. I, I know other people who don't speak in tongues. That's also great. Uh, what is not great is that when people feel they're second-class Christians if they don't speak in tongues. That's not great. The Bible says tongues is a gift, but it's not the only gift. So so tongues is one of the issues. The other issue in 1 Corinthians 14 is prophecy. Uh, Prophecy is harder to define. I've defined it like this. Uh, Speaking a particular word from God with powerful directness and unmistakable relevance into a, into a specific situation. So prophecy is when a man or a woman is, is, is given a word from God to speak to an individual or to speak to a church that, that's weighed against Scripture, always weighed against Scripture, always tested, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you weigh it and you, and you test it to make sure that this is in line with what God says. It's either for an individual or for the wider gathering. And again, many people have that gift. Uh, I believe that in our church there are particular people who who seem to speak particularly relevant words to particular people or or situations. Preaching can be prophetic, you know. Preaching can be prophetic, but but preaching is not the only way that that you have the gift of prophecy. So this chapter is about prophecy, it's about tongues, but it's not about the existence of those gifts. If you're here this morning thinking, I want to know whether they exist, I want to say, of course they exist. Now read your Bibles, of course they exist. Uh, this, this, this chapter is about how they're used. And the problem in Corinth was as you walked into the Corinthian church, there was no order, no structure, no testing of prophecies, no discernment, and no love. It's just a bunch of people being selfish, making themselves feel good. So let's listen to, uh, to 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, Jason's going to read first. And then Melinda will continue. You got one? Great. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 14. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and above all that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another language is not speaking to men but to God, since no one understands him. However, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. But the person who prophesies speaks to people for edification, encouragement, and consolation. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up, but he who prophesies builds up the church. I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages, unless he interprets, so that the church may be built up. But now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in other languages, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even inanimate things that produce sounds whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? 
In fact, if a trumpet makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world, and all have meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another language should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another language, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit, how will the uninformed person say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words in my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another language. Brothers, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adults in your thinking. It is written in the law, I will speak to these people by people of other languages and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. It follows that speaking in other languages is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. But prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other languages, and people who are uninformed or unbelievers come in. Will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying, and some believer or uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all and judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. Jason, and continuing on in verse 26. What then is the conclusion, brothers? Whenever you come together, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, another language, or an interpretation. All things must be done for edification. If any person speaks in another language, there should only be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and someone must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person should keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should evaluate. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that everyone may learn, and everyone may be encouraged." And the prophet's spirits are under the control of the prophets, since God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be submissive, as the law also says. 
And if they want to learn something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church meeting. Did the word of God originate from you, or did it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or, or spiritual, he should recognize that what I write to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, he will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in other languages. But everything must be done decently and in order. Thanks, Belinda. Uh, I want to talk about a disease that I think is contaminating our whole world. I think it's uh, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, and yes, in the church. Uh, two years have got it. Uh, 22 years have got it, 42 years have got it, 62 years have got it, 82 years have got it. Uh, and the disease I'm talking about is a disease called meism or selfishness or, or self-centeredness. We've all got it, haven't we? I have, and I think you have as well. Uh, President uh, Roosevelt uh, was apparently the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. So he just wanted to be the center of attention all the time. And you might know people like that. Maybe you're like that. You know when uh, in your workplace they talk about changes in your workplace? How many of us actually think, first and foremost, uh, what's the good for the company or what's the good for the team? We don't do. We think, how will this impact me? What about me? When when someone shows you a a photo of someone else's wedding, what's, what's the first thing that you do? Look for yourself. What do I look like in this photo? Maybe that's just me. (laughs) What about church? In the last year when we announced uh, changes to our service times at church, uh, how many of us thought, uh, is this good for mission? Is this good for maturity? And how many of us thought, Oh, what about me? How will this impact me? What about church every Sunday? How many come to church and think, well, how many start off by saying, uh, should I go to church? Do, do I bother to go to church this morning? And at the end of church, you think, oh, did I enjoy church? What did I learn? How did it benefit me? Did I enjoy it? Now, I'm, I'm not rebuking anyone. It's just, it's inbuilt to all of us that we're actually quite self-centered people. It's called meism or consumer church. And I reckon that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is all about. It's reminding the Corinthians and reminding us that church is not primarily about me. Church is about God and church is about other people. And so the goal when we meet as church is not primarily our own private worship session. Our goal when we meet is to to honor God and to praise God and to build up other people. So as we evaluate church each week, I want to get you to ask three questions. Here's the first one. Is the church built up? Is the church edified? I think that's the key word for this whole chapter. Let's look at it. Verse 4. The person who speaks in another language builds himself up. But he who prophesies 
builds up or edifies the church. Uh, Verse 5, I wish all of you spoke in other languages, but even more that you prophesy. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in languages unless he interprets so the church may be edified or, or built up. Uh, down to verse 12. Since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up or edifying the church. Uh, verse 19. In the church, I would rather speak five words in my understanding in order to literally edify others than 10,000 words in another language. Uh, down to verse 26, all things must be done for edification or building up. It's really clear, isn't it, that the church, as we gather, as we meet, our our purpose is to build one another up. We say again, church is not about you, it's not about me. I am not the most important person here and neither are you. We gather for mutual edification, for mutual building of up. If you come this morning just because you want to have your own personal worship time, next Sunday just stay at home with your your worship CD and with your Bible by yourself. That's not why we meet. Uh, If we happen to have an amazing personal experience of God, if we happen to be built up personally, that is amazing. Let's praise God for that. But the reason that we stand up and we preach and we prophesy and we lead and we serve and we do music is not about self, it's about other people. So as we gather, as we gather corporately, what's going to build us up? And the key word is intelligibility. I can't say that word. We need intelligible speech. So does tongues do that? Again, tongues is a great gift from God. But look at verse 2. And the person who speaks in another tongue or another language is not speaking to other, to other men or women, but to God. It's a personal prayer language. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. And so the situation there is that you, you've got a person who is speaking in tongues in the gathering, and it's good for them, but other people can't understand it. Is it edifying? Well, yes, verse 4, the person who speaks builds himself up. That's a good thing. It's that individual building up, but it doesn't encourage others. So does Paul say that we shouldn't speak in tongues? No, verse 5, I wish all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you prophesied. I find verse 18 fascinating. I thank God that I speak in other languages more than all of you. And the man who wrote most of the Bible is an avid tongue speaker. But when it comes to gathering, look at verse 19. I would rather speak five words with understanding, intelligible words, than 10,000 words in the tongue. So if the Apostle Paul was here this morning, he would rather that in, in a language that we could understand, that we understood Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. He'd rather have that than have... Now, 20 minutes of just tongue speaking that nobody can understand. Because the point is, without intelligibility, we are not built up. We're not edified. So if you've got a gift of tongues here this morning, then praise God for that. Uh, Use it wisely. Use it well. 
Uh, use it in your personal prayer life. Use it at home. Pray, pray, pray. It is a beautiful gift. But as we gather, please don't be selfish and say, I, I must use my gift. Unless you've got an interpretation. That's what the Bible says. Unless you have got an interpretation or you know somebody with a gift of interpretation so that we all can be, be built up and edified. See, if I'm standing next to you and you're babbling away in the tongue, uh, I cannot say amen to your prayers, can I? Because I haven't got a clue what you're saying. Well, there's tongues. What about prophecy? I don't know whether someone's ever said to you, you know, you just need to know that, that God will never leave you or God is faithful. Someone said to me two weeks ago, Paul, I've got a word for you. You don't have to fit in. You don't have to fit in. That was really helpful for me with what I was grappling with at that particular time. I think that's prophetic. Well, prophecy is good because in his kindness, look at verse 3, the person who prophesies speaks to us for edification, for building up, encouragement and consolation. Isn't that beautiful? When someone prophesies, we are built up, we are encouraged and we're comforted. And that's why verse 12 says, seek to be zealous for the gifts that build up the church. So before we do anything as a church, we've got to think, is this going to be helpful for other people? The church is 500 of us across the day, and we're supposed to be here for the other person to, to say things that will be helpful for them, encouraging for them, building them up, encouraging them. If the Apostle Paul was here this morning, he would say, Church by the Bridge, I want you just to be built up and to grow up. Now, at this point, I reckon it would be easy for me to point the finger at other churches, wouldn't it? You know, point the finger at the churches where everyone speaks in tongues at the same time. But rather than point the finger at other churches, let's, let's point the finger at ourselves, shall we? Let's ask a few questions about Church by the Bridge. Do you think at the church by the bridge we have opportunities to use these gifts? We'll talk about that in a minute. But have we, we slipped into this kind of like one person speaks and we all listen? There may be people here this morning who've got an amazing word of prophecy that we need to hear. So do we create space in our gatherings for that? Uh, what is your mindset when you come to church? Like, did you come every week thinking... How can I serve other people? How can I speak to other people? How can I encourage other people? And, and you come each week expecting God to speak to you. Uh, someone said this. I come thinking, is there somebody here tonight I can encourage or pray with? Is there somebody I can offer a word of comfort to? That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? So this is the first question for us as a church is, is everything that we do as a church edifying for the believers? Let me just say at this point, we're going to have a long period of time after the sermon this morning where you can prophesy, you can give a word of comfort, a word of encouragement, a word of edification. But I hope you know that our gatherings are not just for the believers. I hope you know as we gather each week, we expect the unbelievers to be present, don't we? 
So here's a scenario. The, it's a Sunday morning here in Kirribilli. The doors are wide open. The music is blaring out and the unbeliever walks in. What do you want them to learn? Don't, don't we want to, to leave church each Sunday thinking, wow, God was with them. And so the second question is, is the unbeliever evangelized? So the biggest need of everyone is to, to hear about Jesus, to be saved. And that's the point of verse 21. It's a quote from Isaiah chapter 28. And Paul said, it's written in the law, I will speak to these people by people of other languages and by the lips of foreigners. And even then they won't listen to me. Let me say at this point that that is not a positive verse. The, 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 the situation there is in Isaiah that, that God sends the Assyrians and, and the Assyrians speak in a language that the Israelites don't understand. And he kind of confirms them in their unbelief. That's why he says in verse 22 that speaking in other languages is intended as a sign. Uh, not a sign, a positive sign, but a negative sign. And his point is that when the unbeliever walks in... They need to understand intelligible languages so that they can say, God is among you. Can you imagine bringing a friend to church by the bridge? You bring them in one Sunday morning and, you know, the sermon is completely unintelligible. You know, it's theologically complex. that Even the believers don't understand it, but the unbelievers haven't got a chance. And then everyone decides to do their own thing and they're speaking at the top of each other and everyone's speaking their tongue. And the unbeliever would go, you guys are just nutters. And you're thinking, what a missed opportunity. Now, if there's unbelievers that walk in our door, don't we want them to leave understanding that God loves them and Jesus died for them? And again, rather than pointing the finger to other churches and the things that they do wrong, let's look at our own church. You know, the songs that we sing at church. We should, we should choose songs, not just because we like them, but that the gospel must be clearly communicated through the words of our songs. Uh, the sermons that we preach always need to be clear about Jesus. It's a fine line for the preacher, sort of digging deep to, to mature the believer, but keeping it simple enough for the unbeliever to understand. What about the words that you speak to each other? There's so much jargon in church, isn't there? So much jargon. Let's keep our language simple so anybody here who does not yet know Jesus will understand clearly. And everything that you do at church, the way that you serve, the way that you pray, your attitudes, your conversations, the mindset needs to be, will it be helpful for the unbeliever? So is the believer edified? Is the unbeliever evangelized? And then thirdly, is God glorified? It's really quite simple here that everything that we do in church, people should see the God that we worship. I wonder how people would describe God based on what they experience at church. If we're here to worship God, we must do that in a way that reflects God's character. Or put it another way, the, the character of the God that we worship must be reflected in the way that we worship. Uh, and I reckon that in Corinth, the, 
the church services looked more like sort of, I don't know, Prime Minister's Question Time. Ever watch that? It is utter chaos, isn't it? You've got people standing up and shouting over each other and, and they're just abusing one another. Or like a press conference where everyone's trying to have their say, thinking they know best. Look at what Paul says in verse 26. What's the conclusion, brothers and sisters? When we come together as a church, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a a revelation, another language or an interpretation. Now, wouldn't that be good? (laughs) Wouldn't that be great if we all gathered and we had something to say? We wanted to share something about God. How good would that be? That would be rich. That would be edifying. But all things must be done for edification. And again, this is not a positive thing. He says in Corinth, if any person speaks in another language, there should be only two or most three, each in turn, each in turn, and someone must interpret. He says if someone speaks in a tongue, then there's only three people maximum, a limited number, one at a time, not, not all at the same time, but, but one at a time, and then with an interpretation. The same with prophecy. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak and the others should evaluate. That is, weigh it against the scripture. But if something has been revealed to another person sitting there, so if you're sitting there and you want to speak, then the first prophet should be silent, should sit down. So we can prophesy one by one. So that we can learn and everyone may be encouraged. Uh, And what the picture you've got here is of what I call orderly spontaneity. (laughs) Orderly spontaneity. There there is order in church. There's limited numbers one at a time, but there is spontaneity in church. So people are sitting there thinking, I want to share this. Uh, God wants to say this this morning. But it's not chaos, there's order. Now, who does the evaluating? Who does the weighing? This is the controversial bit. He sort of gasped at verse 34. As in all the church of the saints, the, the women should be silent in the churches, for they're not permitted to speak. Now, he's not saying that women should be silent. He's not saying that, that God gives women sort of the mind ministry. Sort of. Now, 1 Corinthians 11 has said that women are prophesying and women are praying and women can speak in tongues, women can do all that kind of thing. The context here is the evaluating of the prophecy. So when it comes to the weighing of the prophet and the testing against scripture, listen carefully, that's the role of the male elder. Not, not all men will do it. The majority of men will not weigh it, but the male elder will test the prophecy. So that's kind of like, you know, if someone comes and stands at the microphone and has a word from God, if it's against Scripture, I will be the one who gets up and say, actually, the Bible says this. That's all he's saying there. So is God glorified? Is there orderly spontaneity in our gatherings? And again, I think we can point the finger easily at other churches and say, oh, they're, they're, their services are chaotic But the question for us is, is there too much order at church by the bridge and not enough spontaneity? I love this quote. Uh, Rather than unstructured spontaneity that creates bedlam, 
we're often confronted with a well-regulated order of worship that creates boredom. We decide a program of everything that's going to happen during the hour and a half that we meet in the sequence that it will take place. And once it's been printed or on on Ovanto, it becomes a sacred thing for those who planned it. And the likelihood of anyone being led by the Spirit to say or do anything that was not anticipated on Tuesday afternoon when the order was planned is very, very remote. And I think that's part of the issue, isn't it? Of course we need to have order. Order is a beautiful thing. It's part of God's character. Do you see that verse 33? God is not a God of disorder but of peace. Verse 40, everything must be done decently and in order. Of course you want order and structure for intelligibility and understandability, but we also need to have spontaneity. And that's part of the reason we do have open elements. But the question that I've been grappling with this week is, are we too structured? Are we too ordered? Is it a bit like I come to sit and listen rather than I come because I've got a word from God to share? So Church by the Bridge is what we do, edifying for the believer, evangelistic for the unbeliever, and is it orderly and spontaneous so that God is glorified? So what we're going to do now, a bit differently, I'm going to give us 15 minutes. Just leave this microphone open. I'm going to ask you, have you got a word? Have you got an encouragement? Have you got a word of comfort? Have you got a prophecy? Have you got a tongue with an interpretation? Let's have some spontaneity in our gathering and let's hear God speak to us through each other, shall we?